Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of our private podcast for Fulcrum members. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We're recording this right now on the road. I'm on the road with a client out of state, and so we're doing this by phone. We've had a busy week, and so if it sounds a little different from our last podcast, that's why. We're going to talk about systems thinking. It's a term we throw around a lot. It's in, in academic literature. It's used a lot in the world of operations and even in the world of strategy. But we're going to spend a little time just on this topic because it's so foundational to the work that we need to do in this world. Yeah, we would actually we were actually planning on jumping into uh, more like the, the first of the seductive seven today, but then we were talking after the fact we're like, no, there's this this backdrop, this foundational idea you need to have before you get to that. So that's the that's the point today. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, um, do you want like when when you, I've seen you do this in, in speeches and workshops, and you normally teach this idea through a simple diagram, which we are going to try to describe to them. Yeah. Um, Can I just, let me, let me back up and then we'll go into the diagram. I, I want to preface this just by saying, what we'll teach here seems simplistic, but the principle is true. No matter where you work, private sector, public sector, nonprofit, big organization, small organization, business permitting, which is very transactional, straightforward versus, working with people, um, systems thinking is much more comprehensive than just looking at a process because it considers not just the steps, but what are the policies, resources, um, the processes, what are all of the things that need to come together to achieve what our primary customer really, really wants and needs. So it's a very broad uh, topic and it can seem so big that we often just default to fixing small processes or smaller things, but then we never really make a difference. So it's foundational. And the example we're going to use seems simplistic, but the principle is true no matter what environment you're in. Very good. So, and yeah. You want to explain just, the diagram? Just, yeah, just as an aside, we will put this visual up on the post inside the fulcrum that accompanies this um, when, we, when we release this. So you'll, you'll be able to get to this, this visual and see what we're talking about. With the visual, it's pretty straightforward. You uh, have five steps in um, a, a system. So see, look, we're breaking it down to just steps here, but to prove the point. Um, a, person A has some work to do. Person B has work to do. Person C, person D, person E. They each have a different task or function or different level of um, skill set, competency, and the work doesn't get done. It doesn't get out the door, what we call throughput, which is completed work, the rate at which you achieve your, your output. It's not done until all of these people do their part um, and contribute to the job that needs to get done so the customer can get what he or she wants. So A, in this case, um, in an hour, has the capability of doing 20 units in an hour. And B can do 16 units, and C can do 10, D can do 24, and E can do 18. And I know if you're listening to this, being blind, you know, I'm auditory, and hopefully this is working for those who are visual. But just notice, even if you don't remember the numbers, there's variation. Um, each person has a different job and a different skill set and different capacity and capabilities. 
So there is inherent variation in the system between the different parts or processes in the system. Traditional analytical thinking is, and it really actually shows up a lot in our cost accounting and how we budget in our organizations. We're we're breaking the system down into smaller parts, try to figure out how each part works. But the real question is really, how do we get the parts to work together? Because the system can only perform as well as its constraints. So in this example, A can do 20 units. So person A gets the work, is doing 20 units, finishes um, their piece of the puzzle and then hands it off to B. B can do 16 units of work, but it got, B got 20 units, has more work to do than he or she has capability to do. So four units just kind of sit there while B hands off 16 units to C. D can only do 10 units of work. So now I've got another six units. B handed over 16, but C can only do 10. I've got six units of work now stuck in the system. I've got work stuck between A and B, and I've got work stuck between B and C. C can only do 10. B gets um, the 10 done and hands it off to D, but D has lots of capacity. It can do 24 units, but it only has 10 to work on. And E, the same thing. It has more capability than C, but it, it gets what, you know, D hands off and the work goes through. It has much more. It only gets 10 units to work on, and even though it can do much more. So the point of this, and you can see it visually, is that the entire system is controlled by C. If C can only do 10 units, the entire system can only do 10 units. If you do get a chance after a look at the, look at the diagram, the point here isn't that you know every system is so simple and it all flows like this, but in every system, I don't care if you're a policy shop, an auditing shop, a social services organization, a prison system, a private sector supply chain organization, there's something in your system um, that is actually controlling how all the other parts work. And fortunately, in our world, we believe things are complex, so the analytical approach is try to fix A and get A as efficient and as effective as it can get and get B to be more effective and efficient. We try to fix every piece, but it doesn't really matter if I improve A. I can get A to do 20 units and go up to 40 units. It doesn't matter because C can only do 10. Now this, this principle, people will do this all the time in workshops and people say, yeah, this is, yeah, I get it. And they have a hard time finding it in their own system. And so in our workshop in September, we'll be giving people, the actual tools and criteria to find the constraint in their own system. But it's a policy constraint. Very often it's a capacity constraint. Um, the way we're organized and how we let the work flow through is really the constraint. Uh, so you'll, you'll find them in different ways. But the principle is that we're not here to fix every little process or part or you know, I see organizations value stream like a thousand things and they just get lost in the weeds. They can't see the forest through the trees. A lot of work and effort goes into the system, but we don't see big improvements. So, Chris, let me let me just pause there because you, you said something really important. Like, if we, if a, if you were the manager of, you know, the, the a portion of this, and you got ten percent better, and you were, and then the manager of B got them ten percent better, and D got ten percent better, and E got ten percent better, you might be tempted as a manager to say we got forty percent better. Mm, yeah, and you aggregate yep. all these little 
improvements you've made along the way, but C is still at 10, the system is still at 10. And could you explain really quick, like if you improve A and B, you might actually be making things worse for C? Mm, yeah. By the way, what Randy was just describing is called local optimization. We're trying to optimize each little piece, but the global system isn't improving. And it's a technical term. For me, it's one of the major drivers of costs, of, of unnecessary costs in our systems when we local optimize. But yeah, it can make things worse. So imagine if you're C, you're a person and you have this huge amount of work coming at you and you can't handle the work. It's too much. Um, you'll see quality issues getting worse. You'll see what we call bad multitasking or poor work and process controls, which usually leads to um, poor quality and it t makes everything take longer. Um, we'll see now you've got to track your inventory because now you have all this inventory in the system. Now, this isn't you know, hypothetical. This could be a person waiting for a service that's stuck in the system and can't make progress. This could be a, a vulnerable person uh, who's experienced homelessness, is waiting for a service and is stuck in the system. This could be a business that wants to do uh, business with the state or county, can't get the permit through. So these have serious implications. So we end up with all this, what we call inventory or people or products stuck in the system. And so now we have to create data reports and call centers and customer service. And we have you know, customer service hotlines so people can call because they're frustrated because they're stuck. The ramifications are everywhere. And C just feels overwhelmed. And it's really hard because people are, you know, want to do a good job. So if I'm at A, I want to do a really good job and improve my part as much as I can. But in reference to what? Right? I mean, if I'm uh, A, how do I know how much I need to produce? Or how, how do I know when to stop work and when to start work or when to take action or when to wait? How do I know? And when we look at the system we find these very simple clues and signals from the constraint that helps organize everything else of what to do, when to do, how much of it to do, et cetera. And you, you will probably, this, this probably deserves its own future episode, but um, I think sometimes when people see a diagram like this or they read about theory of constraints and they, they see this idea of a bottleneck, they think that's it. I've got TOC, that's, that's the essence of it, but then they don't realize that there's a lot more to it between a bottleneck or a constraint or a control point or transformation or whatever. That's too yeah. much for today, but you don't want to just touch on that just really quickly. Yeah, this is this is a really important point uh, Randy's raised here. Uh, a constraint, we actually want to choose where we want to put our constraint. Um, it's where the customer experiences the most value. It's where we're spending a lot of time, a lot of money is built into this constraint. It's where it takes usually a high degree of expertise or skill set. You can't just hire it off the street. It's like a very precious resource that we don't want to waste it, not a drop. It's like water in the desert. And we want to protect it. And it becomes, we just had our first grandchild and we watch our, our son and daughter-in-law, wonderful parents, their whole life is organized around this newborn. The newborn is signaling to them when to wake up at night, when they can go to sleep, when they you know, can work, when they don't work. Their whole life is organized around this beautiful little granddaughter because she's signaling to them what her needs are and they're organized around that. 
So constraints sometimes have a negative connotation, like it's a bad thing. But um, a colleague of ours once called it, uh, Kevin Fox once referred to it as a control point. I actually like that term. Sometimes we'll use the term system critical activity. It's really important. It's not a bad thing. Uh, but it signals to everything else what to do. So that's a constraint. A bottleneck is transient. It could be that, you know, these wonderful parents are organized around this, our granddaughter, um, and they're out of diapers. The diapers becomes a bottleneck. Bottlenecks are transitory. Um, they may block us or make it difficult for us to really work on the constraint or make sure the constraint is getting what it needs when it needs it. In this case, that she's getting the food or getting her diaper changed when she needs it. She's signaling to the rest of the system, I need diapers, and is signaling how much diapers they should purchase uh, because it's the boss. She's the boss of the system. Um, So bottlenecks are transitory. They can move, but they're in reference to the thing that really is what we want to organize around. Gotcha. Cool. I think, like I said, I think that that topic deserves its own episode in the future, but I just wanted to touch on it. Yeah, it's important. Hey everybody, this is Randy. Let's. Uh, I just want to take a quick second. We'll get right back to the podcast. But I wanted to mention the Fulcrum Summit, which is coming up in late September. This is an in-person event that Chris and I are organizing. And the idea for this is to get uh, much more in-depth than we can through the Fulcrum um, in a you know every two-week type post. This will be a day and a half together in a sequence of content that Chris is putting together that's going to walk you through uh, a series of foundational ideas that she feels like are really, really, really important. So the last time, the last, the first episode, she talked about the unique format we're going to be using, where it's like half conference, half workshop. I just want to give you a sense of a few of the sessions that we're going to be doing. Um, in the day and a half, we've divided up into six sessions. Each one is about an hour and a half. So we'll, like, for example, we'll, we'll start We'll have breakfast and we'll have session one, then we'll go to morning break and then session two, then lunch. It's that kind of that kind of idea. Session one is uh, solving real problems from real people. Session two is seeing the bigger picture, systems thinking. Session three is finding your focal point in the whirlwind. And session four is what you don't flow can hurt you. And then there's there's a couple more sessions on Saturday or just be uh, just as good. And so we wanted we wanted to give you a, a sense that you'll you'll hear a speaker could be Chris, could be member for team, could be a guest speaker. You'll hear a speaker for about 45 minutes or so talking on that on one of these topics. And then you'll have a chance to open your notebook, open your laptop, work through what they just said. How does that apply to me, to my organization, my team? And Kristen and her team will be walking around, helping you to facilitate that, helping ask your questions. So you'll, you'll come home, not just with notes, that you have to plow through, but you will have already had time to go through, work through them, and actually have come away with a plan. So we hope you can join us. Um, it's uh, in beautiful Thanksgiving Point, which is right off the freeway at the uh, the southern tip of Salt Lake County, the northern tip of Utah County. So if you're flying, it's really easy to find. If you're here, it's really lo- really convenient location, and. Um, we hope you join us and you can find out more information on the fulcrum we have in the events tab we have a link there that gets you over to the event bright registration page where you can register so let's get back to the podcast hope to see you there
So let's say that you were the manager of A or B or D or E. What advice would you give to that manager? You're not well. This is this is why C. system thinking. Yes, system thinking is kind of it can be harder because it requires some leadership from somebody to define the system at the higher level, and it also requires. Uh, managers who understand what what their role is in the system, right? It's not just to optimize what they do, but how do I get all these parts to work together? So it's a mindset shift. And if that's the case, um, I'm always thinking about, look, how am I handing work off to the constraint? Sure, a lot of what we call rules of flow, you know, we pay attention to. But as work comes in, is it work that we should even be working on? Should it, you know, should it go to the constraint, not go to the constraint? It really signals to the upfront pieces what they should be doing. Um, and it signals downstream, hey, when the work leaves the constraint, I want to make sure it doesn't cycle back in because they didn't do a good job and there's a lot of rework. I'd also look at, look, maybe I've got capacity. Now, maybe at step D, they've got a lot of capacity that I could shift and think about how could I better support C? Can I move some of my capacity there? This is where, and I think in budgeting, we really can mess it up because we're so focused on line items and categories of expenditure and we're not able to see the big system and say, wait, I may not need more money because I can actually shift money from D over to C. I, I, you know, there's capacity in the system. And until we take the system's perspective, and we'll talk more about more money later, but it's easy to think I need more resources when we were saying, wait, I could move resources around um, and help C get four more resources so it can do four, 14 units an hour versus 10. And so now all of a sudden the whole system's improved just by that. I also want to be very conscientious about um, the quality of work I hand over to the constraint, right? If I'm at B and I'm handing work off to C, I don't want to give C too much work. And I want to make sure the work that C gets, it's ready to be worked on. It's high quality. It's, it's you know, done a good job. And you think, okay, let's, let's take an environment where this isn't flow. I hear this all the time. Well, that's great for manufacturing. Let's take social services. You know, let's take a program where you're, you know, trying to help somebody find a job. You know, maybe a single parent needing a you know, tough situation and we're trying to stabilize and help them get a job. If the rate at which that individual can absorb and make change is the rate at which the entire system will perform. We miss that. We, we, we seldom in your systems can you even see what that rate of change is. And so we'll try to fix A and we'll set up new policy and new evidence-based models and we'll put all this stuff forward. But the thing that really matters, the thing that's going <laughs> to tell us if we're making progress against our goal, you know, help people get a job in this case, is really what insight do we have about the capacity of an individual to take on change. And this is its own episode because you have to look at how that people set up their case plans and case assignments. It's its own thing. But that just understanding that alone, well, you know, that, somebody can only take on two milestones or make you know, two, two objectives every two months. You don't hand the person 20 objectives, right? That that's going to overwhelm them and it's going to slow them down. And it, it, it it's its own episode. I don't know. Well, we often, we often you can maybe add, yeah, go. We often do that though, because let's say agency A is responsible to get them housing and it gives them two or three objectives to meet around housing. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But then agency B is also working with that same family and they're trying to get childcare and they give them two or three things to do. And there's three or four or five or six agencies all interacting with this family and neither, and none of them have the viewpoint of what everybody else is doing. They're just thinking about what they're asking the, the person yeah. family to do. Great example. And they've got the yeah. 15 or 20 tasks to do. Yeah. The system thinking it's, it's tough work. It's much easier just to find a little process and fix it and say, Hey, we say 40 hours of manpower, women power, whatever, you know, labor hours. You know, unless you have a systems perspective, private sector will do this too, right? They'll launch new strategic initiatives or they'll go into their supply chain and they'll look at, you know, a lot of different value streams, but nothing's organized around where the value is really created or where you legitimately have a constraint or a very expensive resource that isn't being maximized. And massive data charts and data dashboards, but the system isn't improving. And here's Here's how you know if you're actually focused on the right leverage point of the constraint or if you t or even if you have a grasp of the system and all the parts and policies. If you're just seeing no change or 2% change or 5% change in your system you're, or in your work, you're likely not thinking about the entire system. And even if you are, you're not focused on the leverage point. And you know, we'll spend a lot more time on that during the, the summit, but it's, it's critical if you want to have an impact to look to the left of you and to the right of you and up from you and down from you and understand that where do you fit in the system? And maybe you're not in a position where you can control the whole system. And some people say, hey, I don't run the whole program. What am I going to do? That's not me. Okay, that's fine. But start with where you are and at least understand upstream and downstream from you. There are people that are affected by your work. You know, you can even just start there. Yeah, and it's also very demoralizing if you're in D&E and, e and you've made a huge push and you've got an initiative and you've actually got a 10% improvement or something and then it goes completely unnoticed because C yeah. upstream of you is still doing 10 and you're gone from 24 to 34. It's like nobody knows or nobody cares and it's like completely demoralizing to make this extra. Yeah, and, and, that, yeah. and then so you get hit by an audit or your stock, you know, your stocks earnings per share don't, yeah. Targets. I mean, it really has big implications. So, so we probably have to, in, in, uh, in yeah. time, we probably have to end this one last question, but yep. that, that question was, what would you do if you were the manager of one of those units? So here's the, here's the last question. What if you are the leader of the entire system? Are there special skills mm. that you need in order to manage at a system level? Yeah, I think that, that, you know, there's lots of, you know, discussion we can have on leadership and, but for systems leadership, I think the thing that leaders struggle with the most is the idea of staying the discipline of focus and clarity. And it's easy to come up with like really long strategic plans with lots of action steps. And it's easy to start a lot of initiatives and what's really hard, just incredibly hard in the environments we're in is to know your leverage point, to know where your constraint is and, tr and to get the system to work as a system and not individual parts and to know the two to three things you've really got to fix and to stay the course, to stay the course, to stay focused. I see organizations, they get the constraint and then 
they understand how the parts should work together, but in the execution, they're still chasing a million things. They get distracted. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's legitimately things you can't just spend a hundred percent of your time on, on this. There's like HR issues that pop up or technology failures. There's stuff that happens, but the inability either define the system, number one, understand what you're really trying to achieve in the system, understand how to scope it, you know, what's in the system, what's out of the system is really important. And then two, to stay focused and to let your team focus and finish before they start new stuff. I, I just see this as such a, a, a challenge uh, for leaders. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You know, I'm sure you have some thoughts on that as well. Yeah. That's uh, you actually do a whole workshop just on like leading teams like this, because there's just, there's a lot to it. So, um, well, thank you again, everyone for joining us for this second episode. Again, we will put the visuals up, uh, just this very simple diagram, and it does help to kind of, um, visualize what we're, we're talking about. We encourage you to draw out or try to draw out your version of what would your ABCDE workflow look like. Um, you know, like, like Chris said, we realize it's not everybody's as simple and straightforward like that, but it is a good idea to start trying to map this out and to try to start to get your head around, where is my seat? Yeah. Um, now, there's an article we posted on the Fulcrum about this. Uh, it's about subordination, and we gave you some hints about how to find your constraint in here in the article in much more detail. But just one thing here is very often... I just need to emphasize this and we can close up. Process improvement is not sufficient. It just isn't. System thinking is where we've got to get to. And you may be in your world and what you do is really important. Every piece of the system is important for the system to work. But you improving your little piece isn't enough. So when you're defining the system, start from the customer and the primary customer and ask yourself, what does this primary customer really want or expect or need out of the system? What's their, is it the product they want, the service they want? What is it that they really want? And then from there, you look back and think about what are the steps, the policies, the resources that need to be pulled in to actually create that. Too often we start with the process we have and we fix that and we don't go broad enough because we're looking at it from our perspective. Look at it from the customer. What do they care about? And look back. What it needs to be pulled in to deliver that product or service. Um, yeah, that's well and said. everything should be organized around that. Yeah, overhead, HR, all the other overhead support functions. If they don't have clarity on this, they could actually make things much, 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 much worse for the organization. And uh, yeah, there's actually two levels above that. So there's process system. Yeah. We have the elevator principle, which is there's two more levels. So we might even want to yeah. one just on that. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, because there's systems, there's enterprise, there's ecosystems, you know, and I think that could be its own episode. It's important. But in the meantime, everyone, go for a bigger picture. And we often don't because we think it's complex. There's really great tools to simplify and take the fear out of it. But just at least start with thinking a bit bigger from what we may go to. You know, think about it from a systems perspective. Yeah, get your head up over the cubicle, so to speak, and look across the whole floor. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. 
at yeah. least get to know who's upstream of me and who's downstream of me and what's a good handle look like and all that. Yeah, I mean this this is economic development policy. This is you know, education policy. This is just affects every aspect. It's you know, supply chain issues. It's everywhere. So start from there. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, join us in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Um, Chris, I was actually planning on jumping into more money, but I'm thinking we may want to go five focusing steps next. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yep. But, uh, anyway, okay. thank you. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Nope, that's it. Thanks, everyone. All right, thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.